0: You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We are wandering through the book of John at a very fairly leisurely pace. We're in John chapter 2 today, so if you have your Bible, go on ahead and open up to John chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 13 uh, today. But John is the gospel of belief, right? Jesus is uh, the Son of God, and John wants you to know that. Above anything else, he wants you to know that he's the Son of God who came to save you. From your sins. And so we get distracted sometimes by shiny objects and other things. But John says, this is the focus that I want you to have. And I think really, if we would focus on that, that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, that, that sometimes things might get a little bit better for us. But John is laser focused on that. So he had Jesus' first miracle in the book of John last week. We talked about the wedding at Cana. Jesus goes in, they run out of wine, and Jesus says, that's not a problem, for me, because I can do all things. So Jesus' first miraculous sign is to turn a massive amount of water into the highest quality of wine. He's praised for not just the quantity of his miracle, but the exceptional nature that Jesus does things. Because Jesus is an exceptional God. He does exceptional things. And now Jesus leaves Cana. He goes to a town of Capernaum and the Bible tells us he spends a few days there. That's verse 12 of John chapter 2. But we pick up in verse 13 and this is what the Bible says. It says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers were sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus is leaving Capernaum. It's Passover. Passover is one of the uh, handful of high religious holidays in the Jewish religion. If, you, if you're familiar with the story, you go all the way back to the book of Exodus. Uh, Moses has been trying to get out of Egypt with the Israelites, and the Pharaoh has kept saying no, and Moses is like, let my people go. And the Pharaoh's like, no, right? And then they go through that like, I don't know, about ten times. Uh, and then eventually uh, we get this, this plague Of the firstborn. And God promises that He's going to send an angel through all of Egypt and He's going to kill every firstborn uh, animal and and, and person. Every firstborn of animal and person in a household, unless you put the blood of a lamb over the door. And there's some real kind of specific requirements there. So the Jewish people did this. Israelites did not know, or the Egyptians did not know. To do this, and so this day comes, uh, and the angel would pass over the houses that were marked with the blood of the lamb, uh, but those that weren't marked had judgment uh, given to them, and after that they were set free. And so the Jewish people would celebrate Passover annually. They still celebrate pa- Passover annually. It falls close to our Easter. Uh, the Jewish year is slightly different than our year, um, but it's always within about a month of when our Easter falls. Uh, they, they celebrate. The Passover meal, the Passover Seder, Uh, they have a a big religious day. Even bad Jews celebrate Passover, right? You don't have to be um, the most orthodox, regimented Jew to follow Passover. It's kind of the Christmas and Easter of of Jewish holidays. It's the one you want to be at. And so Jesus is going to Jerusalem, because if you were in Israel, you would go to the temple to celebrate Passover. It was a huge mass migration of people that would all flood the temple area and it would be a massive festival. And with this influx of people what would happen in the temple yards is they would set up shops to take care of people who were from out of town. Because if you didn't live in Jerusalem there were sacrifices you had to give at Passover to celebrate Passover and so if you didn't live in town, uh, you probably didn't want to wander across the desert uh, down the Via De La Rosa, right, with your with your goat for, for a four days journey, right? And so what you would do is you would go there and you would buy the goat or the sheep or the ox or the bird that you're going to sacrifice, which makes sense, right? If you were going out of town and you had to be involved in a big Thanksgiving celebration, you were uh, asked to make the... I don't know, whatever meal you're supposed to make at Thanksgiving, we'll say you're responsible for the cranberry sauce, not the canned stuff. That's gross. How does anyone eat canned cranberry sauce? I mean, that it looks like like you pour dog food out of a can. It's got the ridges in it. It's the same stuff, guys. I don't know how you do that. That's terrible. Do better, right? I mean, you're going to make real cranberry sauce, you're going to get cranberries, you're going to cook them, you're going to throw in like six pounds of sugar, you're going to make cranberry sauce out of it, okay? I think maybe some gelatin goes in there. I don't really know. I don't know how to make cranberry sauce. Pectin, maybe? That's a, that's, no, that's something else. Okay, I don't know what I'm doing. Peyton says no to the pectin. Whatever. Make your cranberry sauce however you want. But if you have to make a ton of cranberry sauce, you're probably not going to Walmart here and picking up your groceries if you're going to be in a town that has a grocery store. You'll go into town, you go to the store, you pick up what you need, and you do it. Imagine if it was a living animal that you had to bring with you. So it's sensible that the Jewish people who lived outside of Jerusalem would come in and need a place to purchase what it is that they were required to give for a sacrifice. What was not sensible for Jesus is that they would set up in the church foyer of the temple. Uh, If you're familiar with the design of the temple, it's, it's kind of designed in about four different stages and you have this huge open yard. Um, the courtyard of the Gentiles, and basically anyone could go in there. Even non-Jewish people could go in there. And then there was a Jewish-only section, um, which was, 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 was massive as well. And then you got to areas that like only uh, men could go into, and then only priests could go into. And then there's this little bitty area that one priest can go into one day a year. right? And so it's a, it's a pretty uh, organized area, but they set up shop in those outer courtyards, selling these animals. Uh, And so what was going on in the temple was trade. And Jesus looked at what was happening when he walked into the temple on this high religious holiday approaching the Passover, and he became filled with some degree of righteous indignation. He said, this should not be happening here. right? This place is not made for this sort of business. And so Jesus made a whip of some sort. We don't know how he made the whip, by the way. It says a whip of cords. And he started whipping people and animals out of there. Some people want to say, oh, it was just he was just whipping the animals. But it's fairly clear that, it, that some people got smacked as well along the way. These, these, these money changers, their tables were all set up nicely. You would come in with your Roman money, your Roman currency, the denarius. And that was not a, a valid offering to the temple. You couldn't give Roman money. We will take any money. You want to give us euros or bitcoin, we will receive whatever you want to give us. We'll figure out the conversion rate uh, as we go to the bank here. But in the temple, they had one uh, accepted type of money, and it was a Jewish coin. Uh, And so you had to have your Jewish coin to give uh, into the treasury, and so you would take your Roman money, you would convert it to the Jewish money, and then you would give it there. And I'm sure that the money changer took you know, a 10% processing fee because that's what you do when you're in the business of changing people's money. But Jesus looked at all this, and he became frustrated because what was happening in the temple was not what the temple was designed for. Right? And, I, and I like to think that Jesus just showed up one day at, at church, basically, and he looked around the, the temple and he said, this is not right. And I wonder, hypothetically, what Jesus would think if he were to show up to churches today in the year 2021. Right? What would Jesus think as he looks at what we do programmatically As a church, not just First Baptist Rockdale, but this is where we are, so we might as well examine ourselves with a clear mirror to look at what what would happen. Is Jesus going to say the focus of this church is on the right things? Is the the efforts of this church being spent in the right direction? Or are we so busy keeping livestock and cattle uh, and worried about changing people's money from one type to another that the focus has been lost? If you were to walk into the temple courtyard uh, over, over this Passover celebration, you would have no concept of something holy happening. Right? You would have no concept that something very important was happening. You know, the question they ask at the Passover Seder right, is why is this night unlike any other? right? What is different about this night than all the other nights of the year? That's the opening question that's supposed to be asked as you go through the meal that you share for Passover. But you would not think there was anything specially different. You would think you wandered in to a marketplace. Animals being bought and sold. I'm sure loud, noisy, yelling, screaming, trying to keep the cows in the right spot. I mean, it is a mess. Some of you have gone to livestock auctions, right? Imagine that. But inside of church, it doesn't fit. It's not where it should happen. It's not the right location for that activity. And I wonder sometimes if we have our own livestock auctions inside of churches. Things that we do, and we do it for good reasons, right? It's not that it was bad that these people provided the service of giving them sacrifices, or even that the money needed to be exchanged to the right currency. None of that in and of itself is wrong, right? It's not wrong to change your money from Roman money to Jewish money. It's not wrong to purchase the sacrifice so that you can offer it instead of bringing it from your house. That's not necessarily wrong. The wrong part is where you're choosing to conduct that business. That's not the purpose of that place. And I've been in churches since I was uh, like nine months before I was born. I have been in church. And oftentimes a church loses sight of its purpose. And instead of being um, a, a place where people can come and hear the message of Jesus Christ, the hope of Jesus Christ, and where disciples, followers of Christ, are strengthened to go and make other people followers of Christ, it becomes a gathering point for people. It becomes a social club for people. And the danger of a social club is not that they're bad. In fact, it is great that you have places to socialize. And it's wonderful if you like socializing with your church people. Really, I think that's a great thing. Some of my closest friends have been people in my churches because it's it's a wonderful group of people. We share a lot already. right? We have a base faith that, that we share. But if your church is a social club it ceases to be what God has called it to be. Right? If the purpose of your church has shifted, maybe not officially. Officially, you could all tell me that the purpose of the church is to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. By the way, I hope that you could tell me that. Officially is the purpose of the church. But if the, the practice of the church has shifted to where it's social, and you're never being pressed, your Sunday school class becomes a place not not to be challenged and sharpened to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but it comes a place just to kind of share your life with people. Right? That's not one of those new church phrases, we're doing life together. Now, it's not bad. We should do life together. Doing life alone is tough. Right? But if that becomes that purpose, supersedes the purpose of discipling you to become a better follower of Christ, then I believe that if Jesus was to walk into your church... With your Sunday school class, or your activity, there's going to be some upset people. There's going to be some turned over tables. Because Jesus is not looking for people to, to, to lose focus on what is supposed to happen. Zeal for his father's house will consume him. Jesus quickly will realize the issue, and he will work aggressively to solve them. Are we like that as people? Do we consistently examine this institution, the Bride of Christ, the Church, First Baptist Church Rockdale, do we examine this institution and say, this is the Bride of Christ, are we staying on mission, or is our message being lost along the way? That's one of the dangers of doing a ministry like Feed Rockdale, just to be fully honest, I love Feed Rockdale, I think it's one of the best things that we do. It's also one of the dangers of doing something like Discovery Days, a great ministry of our church. One of the best things that this church can do Right? But it's dangerous because you do good things, and it's very quick to make like, oh, we're, we're going to educate these children and give them some, some good socialization and teach them how to hold a pencil and cut a couple of scissors. And to take that as the primary purpose other than making disciples of these children and their families. It's very easy to say, I'm going to go and prepare lunches for kids who need lunches. We're going to deliver food to people who need food. We're going to minister to people's physical needs, but to lose sight of the fact that we don't do that just because feeding people is inherently good. We do it because God has called us to love them, and we want to move that relationship past the doorway. We want to move it past the sack being handed off to actually seeing them give their lives to Jesus Christ. We want to see their children come to know Jesus Christ. We want to see their lives impacted by the gospel, not by a brown sack lunch. And that is the danger of doing any ministry in the church is that the the, the secondary focus becomes the primary focus. And so we have to stay focused on the first things first. The primary purpose of the temple was a place for people to stand in awe and reverence of the God of the universe. And they would go there and they would offer sacrifices to atone for their sins, but for some reason that primary purpose for the temple was lost, and Jesus walked in, immediately realizes the problem, and aggressively solves this problem. I don't want us to have to deal with the aggressive course correction that Jesus Christ might have for First Baptist Rockdale. We need to be focused on the right things. If you have leadership in this church, if you have a class in this church, if you have a group in this church, if you have uh, an activity that you're responsible for in this church, is it focused on making disciples who make disciples? Because if it's not, it should not be a part of this church's ministry. If it's not focused, if the primary driving focus isn't disciple-making process, if it's something else, socialization... Education. Sunday school can become just straight education, Bible facts, so that you can win a Bible trivia contest, which by the way, is unlikely to ever happen in your life. It's very unlikely there's ever gonna come a time when you're listening to the radio and says, Hey, caller 19 who can tell me what happens when the fifth bowl in the apocalypse is poured out, wins a million dollars. That question is not being asked. Your Bible trivia knowledge is not that important. It's really not your knowledge of the Bible matters as much as it affects change in your life but if you just know a bunch of stuff I am not impressed by you right it's like the people who have lots of education I have I have a a friend uh, who has like more degrees than anyone needs but he is a worthless scoundrel it doesn't matter how many degrees he has doesn't matter how many people have said, yes, he has passed, and he's done this, and he's done this, and he's done this, and he has, like, I mean, he could wallpaper his house with degrees and certificates that he's gotten from universities. But none of that has affected him to make him into a better person. None of it has changed him to become uh, someone that, that, that even becomes respectable at the end of it. right? Bible knowledge doesn't necessarily lead to life transformation. Sunday school classes, your, your primary purpose isn't to educate. And inform. It's to transform people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what you're supposed to do. Jesus walks in and sees the problem, aggressively seeks to do it. We need to be like that. We need to be analyzing our situation and seeing is there an issue and how can we aggressively seek to solve it. Continuing on uh, after this, the Jews who were there and saw all this uh, hubbub that's a good word. We should use that more often, by the way. Hubbub. What's the hubbub? Never mind. So the Jews said to him, verse 18, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And the Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. And when, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples, years later, remembered what he had said. And they believed the scripture and the word that a Jesus had spoken. Here's, here's the deal. Jesus does this, this like pretty aggressive thing by running people out. Disrupts trade, causes a scene. The leaders of the area there come up and say, Who gives you the authority to do this? Show us a sign that says that you're allowed to act like this here. Right? Give me something so that we don't have you arrested. Because you, you can't just come in here flipping tables and running people out of here. Right? They didn't argue that what was happening in the courtyard wasn't right. They didn't want to argue that issue. They're just like, who gives you the right to do this? Show me something. Give me something to show me that you're allowed to act like this. And Jesus says, well, if we tear this temple down. I'll rebuild it in three days. they are like, that is impossible. 46 years we've been at it, and we're not even done yet. But we're still working on this building. 46 years it's taken us to get it to this point. You can't rebuild it in three days. But Jesus, right, he wasn't speaking of the physical temple. He wasn't looking to tear down the stones of the temple and rebuild the temple because Jesus isn't focused on buildings. He's not. He's not impressed with property. He's not impressed with stuff. He always wants people to focus on the better thing. And so he's drawing their eyes to something different. And no one recognized at the time. There's no reason to think the Jewish leaders who were asking him understood what he was talking about, and the disciples didn't understand it at the time. But after Jesus died and rose again in three days, they're like, he was pointing at himself. Jesus consistently draws people back to himself. Right? He places the emphasis on himself, not on institutions. Right? His emphasis is on him, his work. His kingdom come, His teaching, the work of God among the people, not on institutions. And we, and we sometimes flip that around. We focus so much on the institution. What's it take to keep the institution afloat? What do we need to do to make the institution more, more efficient? What do we need to make the institution uh, leaner, meaner, ready to cut through the 21st century? How are we going to make this institution uh, ready for the, uh, the the Twitter and Snapchat generation. I don't know, by the way, how you Snapchat church. I don't understand how to make the institution work uh, in Snapchat. By the way, fun fact, parents out there, I just want you to know something. I despise Snapchat with everything in me. I don't know of a worse social media app out there than Snapchat. That's for free for you parents out there. You do with it what you want. The creators of Snapchat created it to take kitty porn uh, and and allow, allow it to be done and to be passed around without anyone getting record of it It's being used for fine and noble purposes. I don't doubt that I'm not saying everything that goes through there is is bad But when I can send a picture of anything I want and know it's gonna be deleted in seven seconds I guarantee you it's being used for the wrong thing And if you're a student out there today I want you to know every picture you send through snapchat is saved on their servers Your friend doesn't have access to it anymore. You don't have access to it anymore, but they do Okay, so don't be an idiot Please don't be an idiot. All right, that's my my, my full free Snapchat thing. But we're focused so much on the institution. How can we make the institution work when that sort of garbage is going on? How does this institution, in the 21st century, First Baptist Church, Rockdale, we're 200 or 150 years old in like five years. We'll be 150, thereabouts. I don't know exactly the anniversary, but we're just about five years from now. We're going to be 100 and 400, four years? Four years from now, we're going to be 150 years old. How does this 146-year-old church become the institution that can transform lives in the year 2021? How How can we model ourselves for that? And we're so focused on the institution, and the answer is so simple. It's to stop focusing on the institution and to focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, as I said in my introduction that was not connected to my sermon, is better. He's better. He's better than this institution. He's better than the history of this institution. He's better than anything out there. And if we can get people's eyes on Jesus Christ, if our eyes would remain on Jesus Christ, we will begin to work like Jesus Christ. And we don't have to be creative and we don't have to whiteboard out the solutions to all the problems that we might see out there because if our eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ... He will lead us where we need to go. Jesus is drawing uh, the disciples' eyes to himself. Everyone's looking at the building as he points at the building. In three days, I'll build it back up. In three days, you destroy this temple. It'll come back. No one understood it, but then years later, about two and a half years after this happened, Jesus is, is killed. And three days later, he rises back through his own power, His own divine power. He's resurrected to life. And His disciples are like, oh, it's about Jesus. And it is about Jesus, church. It's not about you. It's not about your comfort. It's not about uh, our our building or our programs or anything. It's about Jesus. And if we can keep Christ the central focus and, and not let our eyes wander to other things, then we will be effective at the church. I want our church to be effective. If you haven't got that yet, that is my goal as your pastor, is to make our church effective for the ministry of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we have to be the most efficient for Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we're going to cut everything to make everything, but I want us to work in a way that focuses our attention on Jesus Christ, because we have to investigate issues that are not God-honoring, and then we need to bring the focus back on Jesus Christ and not on ourselves, or on our ministries, or on our facilities. We have wonderful, beautiful, sacrificially donated facilities. What a wonderful blessing we have as a church. But God help us if these facilities become the golden calf. This is not uh, the, the purpose of the church, to maintain the property. The purpose of the church is to seek, to save, and to disciple. It's what we're called to do. Continuing on, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, so still in that same period, many people believed in his name when they saw the different signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. this is a little wordplay. It doesn't show up in the in, in the ESV and it doesn't show up in the NIV. But it says, you know, Jesus did these signs, and many people believed in Jesus. And the Greek word is uh, pisteo. It just means believe, faith. It's, it's what it means. Um, they, 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 they believed in Jesus because they saw signs. Jesus says this is kind of like a secondary faith, right? He says, he says, you believe in him because you've seen signs, but blessed are those who believe and haven't seen signs. He says that to, to Thomas, right, when Thomas is, is dealing with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and, but, but it is faith. They believed in Jesus because of his signs. But then it says Jesus himself did not entrust. And that word is actually the same word, believe. It's like they believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe them. Right? He did not believe in them because Jesus knows them. Jesus knows what is in the heart of man. He understands your deepest motivations. This is why church can become very difficult sometimes to lead in for a pastor. Because my unconscious motivation is sometimes less noble than my stated motivation. My stated motivation is I want to make disciples of Rockdale, Texas. I want to see lost people come to salvation for the glory of God. But my unconscious motivation is oftentimes and how great will Matt look when that happens. How great will First Baptist Rockdale look and by the transitive property, Matt Higginbotham look through that. Pride is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And Jesus knows those deep motivations. The motivations that you don't even really acknowledge inside of yourself. Like it bubbles up and you're like, no, that's not me. That's not me. That's, no, I'm good. I got this under control. Jesus knows it. He knows exactly what you feel and why you do. And so we have to be wary of that, 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 that like our motivations matter. Why we do what we do matters. And in fact, if, if, if your motivation uh, for sharing the gospel, and this is like our, our Jehovah's Witness friends, the motivation for Jehovah's Witness to share the gospel is they have to share the gospel. They have to give you the book. You get a pamphlet from Watchtower. They have to give you the book. And they track every book they give every prayer they have every door they knock on they have apps dedicated for this to build up their numbers so that at the end of it they they know like i knocked on 70 million doors and i gave out 5 million pamphlets and like they have they, it's statistically counted because what matters to them is they have to get in the top 144,000 of, of achievers in their religion by the way there's like 7 million of them and so like, it's, not, it's becoming less and less easy the longer they go knocking on doors. Kind of a diminishing returns idea. But you've got to be a top 144,000 person. Because if you're in that, then you show up in the book of Revelation in a favorable way. And so they really work on it. And so while like they may have an, a, a motivation that they believe that what they're saying is true, by the way, it's not. Jehovah's Witnesses destroy John 1, mutilate John 1, take Jesus, the Son of God, and, and elevate him to the role of you, like your peers in Jehovah Witness Christology. You're a son of God in the same way that Jesus is a son of God. You're not a son of God in the same way Jesus is a son of God, just so you know. They mutilate John 1. They mutilate the gospel. It really is a dangerous teaching. If you deal with them in your house, thank them for coming, send them on their way. Right? They, they, they mutilate the gospel along the way, but they, they're, they're, their state of motivation may be that they want you to learn the truth about God so that you're ready for His return. And I believe for a lot of them they, th- that's true to them, but there's this motivation underneath it that drives them to go out in weather like today <laughs> to knock on your door, and it's that if they don't, someone might pass them on that scale. And they can't lose that spot, so they have to knock on the door. They have to knock on the door. They have to hand up the flyer. They have to do it, because if they don't do it, someone might pass them along the way. I'm not an expert in Jehovah's Witness. I don't know if you're like 145,000, what happens to you. I think you're still okay, but, but you, you're not in like that top group. I don't really understand how that all works out. Don't get me uh, too deep into that. But the point is, God knows your unconscious motivations, the things that you don't want to reveal to other people. He knows. And while you may state your belief in Jesus Christ, Jesus knows you, really knows you. And you know what's so great about Jesus knowing you and, and really knowing you? He still loves you. Like, he knows you. The, the stuff that you won't tell your pastor, the stuff you won't even tell your spouse, he knows you. And he still chose to come. And he still chose to die so that you could receive eternal life. He loves you even though He knows you. What a beautiful picture of love that is. But guys, I want us to focus today on what would happen if Christ was to come here today. If Christ was to show up here today and He knows your motivations and He examines the situations around us and He seeks to solve those situations by putting the focus back on Himself, are you ready for that? Will you surrender those things? that are not under his lordship right? Are you willing to let go of, of a ministry that you feel is, is, is important to you because it's always been important to you, but has lost its focus on what matters? I had someone come to me and tell me basically that. They said, look, what, what, what I intended to do when I started this was this, and it's kind of just done this. And it's not bad. This thing over here it was not, never bad. It didn't really accomplish what it is that I'm supposed to do. But what we set to do. Just let it go. Let it go. Let's focus on things that move us in the direction we're supposed to be. Because if Christ uh, is going to come again, and He will come again, as I want us to be ready for that. Christ comes to draw our attention, our focus back to Him. Are you ready to stay focused on Him in all the areas of your ministry? Your, your ministry here? You're at your work, you ministry in at your home. Are you willing to stay focused on Him? I pray you will be. God's got good things in store. Let me pray.